the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're uh, broadcasting live from Noah's Ark today. (laughs) (laughs) And boy, does it smell in here. (laughs) Man, has it been crazy out there today. It was like the low bar of like, well, it's not raining. At least least we're good. Yeah, in Naperville, we have that river walk. I saw pictures of it. Oh, my gosh. Is it, it is, like all flooded out? Is, it's getting there. It's getting bad, yeah. That's crazy. There are some roads by my house that were just the lower lying roads that are just completely underwater. It's just nuts. We were shoveling snow, what, four days ago? <laughs> yes. Gosh. It'll probably be 85 and sunny in like four days I'm or going something. to Hawaii. I'm out of here. You're not. <laughs> I know what you make. Touche. Touche. <laughs> well, we're glad you're joining us today. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Online at 1160hope.com, and you could always text us at 68683, type in CG followed by your comment, and uh, we'd be glad to uh, hear any feedback you've got. Well, ma'am, I don't know if you have been, <laughs> you ever just swallow something in the middle of talking? I don't know. The if... amount of times you've said that in a segment is amazing to me. Swallow something? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I wasn't even chewing at anything. I swallowed on my own. <laughs> I'm just choking myself. This segment's called TMI. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you forget people can't see you. Um, I don't know if you've been following Jeopardy lately with the guy. What he's from Naperville. You're uh, well. He lives in Las Vegas, but he's from Naperville. Uh-huh. Yep. And uh, he's won like 19 in a row, and he's kind of revolutionized the game. And there's people who are like, I wonder if he'll ever lose one like 1.3 million. Have you ever? Have you actually watched any of them? I mean, I've seen clips online. I don't. I haven't actually watched the show. He's like a professional gambler. He, yeah, it sounds like <laughs> I've actually been reading articles that are like dissecting his approach and his learning methods, and it's it's kind of interesting. He said he totally has a strategy where he's like picking random parts on the board and trying to get like in people's heads. Uh-huh. And, it's pretty good. But the, the other part of Jeopardy, and you and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. We actually played the clip of Alex Trebek, uh, famously the host for the last, I don't know, 35 years of Jeopardy, when he revealed that he's a stage four pancreatic cancer. That mm-hmm. was way back in March. And this past week on Wednesday, uh, he got candid uh, just today about his uh, cancer treatments. He had his first live sit-down interview on Good Morning America mm. with Robin Roberts. And I thought it was really telling. It was really telling. And so I want to read it. Uh, and then uh, talk about it a little bit. He said, my oncologist tells me I'm doing well, even though I don't always feel it. I've had kidney stones, ruptured discs, so I'm used to dealing with pain. But what I'm not used to dealing with is the surges that come on suddenly of deep, deep sadness. And it brings tears to my eyes. He goes on to say, "Fight! I'm fighting through it, adding my platelets are steady. My blood counts are steady. My weight is steady. And he said stuff 
is still going out and he's uh, blown away by the outpouring of love from people. But it was that line that he said uh, that he struggles with deep, deep sadness, uh, waves of it that just caught my eye because I think so many of us are like, oh, okay, that feels like what you should be going through at this. But a lot of times it's more sanitized. Yeah. Alex Trebek. And, and and so then some level it was like, okay, that makes sense. And on another level, it's kind of like, man, how many of us go through periods of deep, deep sadness and refuse to ever uh, admit it? Yeah, and I think for him in particular, because he's A, a celebrity, and B, a pretty notoriously stoic one, right? Right. Like it, It's different if it's somebody, for some reason, if it's a, an actor that we've seen emote before, you know, but because we don't normally see him in that role, and because he's been like such a staple, yeah. I don't know, it, it kind of challenges a couple of things, and I it made me think of... Like years ago, we we did a, a series on suffering, mm. and to this day, it's it's one of the most um, feedback I've I think I've ever gotten from a sermon. But one of the one of the stories I found was about a nineteenth century theologian named Robert Dabney, and he lost two of his sons within the same month. Ugh. And he he wrote, I just always thought this was really fascinating. So he said, when when my Jimmy died, my grief was painfully sharp. But the actings of faith, the embracing of consolation, and all the cheering truths which ministered comfort to me were just as vivid. And that's sort of like what we like to hear, right? Like, yep. oh, sadness, but then like people rallied around me even amidst devastating circumstances. But then his letter goes on and he says, uh, but when the stroke was repeated and thereby doubled, I seem to be paralyzed and stunned. I know that my loss is doubled and I know also that the same cheering truths apply to the second as the first, but I remain numb, mm. downcast, almost without hope and interest. Mm. And like this is when, particularly in the church, we all kind of like, yep. oh, that's more honest than I'm comfortable with. <laughs> yeah. Even though all of us, particularly parents, would imagine, yeah, that's how I would feel too yes. if I lost both my sons in the same month. But for some reason, when we see it in the face of other people, or particularly people that we hold up as role models or leaders, you know, pastors fit in this category for better, or for worse. And there is a discomfort. I think it's probably why it resonated with you a little bit too, because yeah. we just don't see that side of him, but it's real. Yes. And it's strange to me that it, we, we are so uh, adept at cushioning ourselves from that kind of reality, you know, so that we can continue being productive members of society, I guess. But it, it is a weird dichotomy for me. Is that the reason you think that we often, um, don't like to own up to the fact that I'm suffering from, quote, waves of deep, deep sadness, like he said. Because you and I are both in churches, but it's not even just churches. It's in right. general. We like to put our best foot forward. We like people to think we have it all together. Even when we're in the midst of tragedy, we don't often admit, you know what? I'm just really sad. I'm broken. I'm paralyzed, as you said. And that's what this got me thinking. Like, he had to make the decision to go on national television today and say, I'm having waves of deep, deep sadness. It would have been just as easy for him to go. Hey, it's really painful. It's been terrible, but I'm being bolstered by the people right. around me, and I'm doing okay. Right. And so to admit it was was I felt like a big step, and it made me wonder why don't you know why don't we more readily admit it? Maybe some people admit it too much, but hmm. I think by and large, most of us probably keep those cards closer to the vest and and aren't so open about our feelings like that when it comes to negative feelings, probably particularly within the church. Yeah, I actually had a, a really um, really great eye opening conversation on Sunday after the evening service with a gentleman who is decades sober now, um, but he talks about the gift of rock bottom. 
Mm. He's like, the problem is so many of us live most of our lives just a hair above rock bottom. And because it doesn't actually crush us, we still play our cards close to our chest. Wow. We still feel the need to um, to put on a front. And yeah. he said, the beauty of rock bottom is that you're left without any of your, your it's so disorienting and all your faculties are out of way. It's just like, I got nothing else but brokenness right here. Mm. So you, you really have one of two options. And that's often what leads people to like sustained growth and healing is because the bottom so completely dropped out. So with Trebek, you know, this is not a lighthearted diagnosis. It's a really, really serious one. And I wonder if part of the the weight of that reality is what's giving him courage to say, I know I don't have to say this on air. I think it's important that I say it because I know that other people are also feeling this too. Yeah. Because for him, it's it's now so clear and present. It's so in his face that it's it's maybe bolstering or giving him some additional courage to be really honest about it. Yeah. Yeah, it was just really stark because as you said, also Alex Trebek has the... Um, uh, the reputation, right? We're used to seeing him on Jeopardy, yeah. just asking questions, and right. he's really smart, and this and that. And so, like you said, to see him kind of uh, expose his feelings like that was, yeah. it was something. It was something, and it got, it challenged me. It challenged me, like, as a pastor, where most people are used to me looking like I've got it together, and this, that. Who in my life, and who in your life out there, would you be able to say, you know what, I'm suffering from waves of deep, deep sadness. Yeah, no kidding. Feels like uh, an important thing to have in our lives. Yeah, I totally agree, and we, we've kind of touched on it a couple of times this week, but you know, we talked about vulnerability mm-hmm. on Sunday, and even just, there was a survey that Cigna Healthcare did uh, a few months ago of 20,000 Americans, and the statistics were heartbreaking. Mm. Like, like 30, 40, 50% of people who feel like they have very few, if any, meaningful in-person mm. connections or yeah. 13% was the last one I read. I remember saying 30% said they have zero people in their lives that know them well. Wow. 13% That's out of, hard. I mean, that is a massive sampling. And so you know, point to things like that, like, Oh yeah, th- that's part of why we kind of continue to play this game is because we don't actually know how to be vulnerable with each other. Mm. Well, that's a heavy topic to start, but one that when I saw it today ago, I saw, thought to myself, that's something that probably most of us need to resonate with and think about. So uh, coming up next, we're going to shift gears a little bit, and I've got a question for you, and all of you out there, you can play along. I've got a question for Ian. What is the number one best-selling Christian single uh, song of all time? To Hell with the Devil. You are 0 for 1. Got it. We're going to answer that question when we come back on The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, Before we went to commercial, we teased this out a little bit, that I gave you a little bit of time to think about this. What is, you and I both raised in thoroughly Christian world, so we... (laughs) Thoroughly Christian, wow. That you would know if you all could have heard us singing Striper while between segments here. No, 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 Brian was singing Striper. No, no, you were singing, and then you allowed me to take over. You allowed me to take over. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no proof to that. I'm guessing if I could start naming Newsboys songs for you, you could start going with them. Oh, you'd shine and make me wonder what you got. <laughs> and don't get us started on DC Talk. Don't even get us started. So anyway, Jesus Freak is still a good album. It is. I'll go. I'll go with that one as well. <laughs> so, what is the number one best-selling Christian single of all time? What is the number one? And I, there's probably criteria to this that I don't understand. I'm, I'm going to preface this by I found it on the internet. Oh, oh, you did? Yes, I did. Okay, so you've been teasing this question out for a, a day now, and I just want you to know I have not looked. Okay. I have not researched. I really have tried to think. Number one of all time, <laughs> and uh, I'm assuming it's got to be a living sacrifice song, right? No? Nope. 
It's P.O.D. It's uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm joking. Some people are like I don't even know who these bands are. Um, the 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 song that I keep coming back to is my first guess is a friend, a friend forever. Ooh, I like it, but it is not. It true. really isn't. But I'm gonna have a hard time not singing that right now. <laughs> Packing up the dreams, God's oh, okay. planted. We should have. There should be a disclaimer on this segment. It is. Uh, it is. I'll give you a hint. It's much more recent than that. It is. Yes. Oh much no. Is it? Is it a Tomlin tune? No, it is not. But you're closer. I'm closer. You're closer. Is this whole segment just me guessing? We're getting there. I've got it ready to go. But this is, is fun. Is it a, a newer artist or just a newer song? Uh, probably newer within the last ten years. Ten years. Yes. Ah, uh, more than that. Fifteen years. Is it from a worship collective or an individual? No. No, it's from a band. It is from a band. Yes. Oh gosh, it's a Mercy Me song. It is. I can only imagine. Play it. Woo! I can only imagine <laughs> what it will be like. Song so 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 much more serious than we are. It is. <laughs> but the payoff is good. <laughs> is it though? Yeah. I can only imagine. If you guys can see, Brian's raising both of his hands I'm right now. I'm looking for someone's hands to hold right now. There's a single tear, <laughs> a single tear trickling down his cheek. Me. We can just talk right over top of this. I'm going to get emotional. Yeah. I get... <laughs> All right, Josh, you can kill that. <laughs> I can't kill that. Or... Yeesh, Louise. So, yes, it's I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me. And uh, now that song has been changed into a movie. Not changed, but it's inspired a movie. Uh, it's got a kind of like, it took on a life of its own, if you will. Hence, it's the number one song. And I guess I wanted to ask this question, besides just having fun. When I found this, I was like, that's going to be fun to see what he guesses. <laughs> and you walked right in my trap with that, with friends or friends forever. That was your trap? No, I had a feeling you were going to go old school like that. Oh, can you blame me, though? I mean, no. Michael W. Smith. I think is, I would have gone there. Yeah, he. I mean, he's... he's and in fact, I saw him sing a couple years ago. Dude mm-hmm. can still sing too. Yep. yep. Whether you like his music or not, I was like, oh wow, good for you, man. He yep. was uh, he was performing. He was I was impressed. Yep. Yep. Uh, here's where I wanted to go with this though. Uh, that song has actually a really uh, played a pivotal moment in a very certain um, time in my life and my wife's life. But I'm wondering. Uh, I wanted to transition this to go, why is that song such a big deal? Mm. Why was that the number one song? Because yeah. music resonates, and it's not just the musicality of that song, right? Sure. Uh, it's a pretty ordinary song, if you will. So why do you think that that song, I'm sure you know it by the fact that you could guess it, uh, <laughs> why do you think that song resonates to the point that it was the number one best-selling Christian single of all time? I think you teased up some of that, that uh, because it's been adapted and utilized, that's the cynical marketing part of my brain. Like, <laughs> I like just, that you go there. Just raw exposure yeah. is is part of why, you know, like when more people hear it because of the different ways that it's been used and translated and it's been in soundtracks and then the whole movie. Um, but I think... You know they 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 quote unquote broke into the mainstream too. That's that's a pretty big deal. Still, yep. there's still a, is a a strange sort of divide between you know Christian artists and you know again quote unquote yep. secular radio. Yep. But I I think it it certainly uh, dives into topics that I think a lot of people, whether or not they're Jesus people or not, have have wrestled with, have wondered like what will this moment mm-hmm. be like? And I think good artistry, like good comedy, we were talking about this a couple of days ago, it it tends to, the best tends to touch on something that's universal, yep. that regardless of what part of the country, the world, uh, you raise, how much money you do or don't have, there's like something, there's like an internal engine, it's like, oh, I've wondered that. And I think that there's some appeal to that. Yep. And I think that that's why people respond in turn 
by supporting stuff like that. Cause like, Oh, even if I don't agree with the conclusion, you're asking good questions, yep. questions that, you know, my heart and head have gone to as well. And there's, there's something, uh, there's something beautiful about that. I do think there's this beautiful picture. It, it puts words to kind of in a picture to what we all long to know that what's it going to be like when a loved one leaves this world or when we leave this world, like, it's enough for us to preach sermons about eternity and heaven, but the, the way they paint that picture, and that's what I think gets at the heart of it. I do love your cynical nature of going, well, because it was marketed well. It's <laughs> well, probably part actually of it. more true than my sentimental reasons of <laughs> uh, everyone's picturing grandma going across the pearly gates. <laughs> r- r- right. Oh, the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, so I said, I, I, I hinted at that this, this song, when it came out, played a, a, an important role, even for that reason in a stage of my life, right after my wife and I, uh, had our first miscarriage and it was mm. like it was mind-blowing nothing had ever happened to either of us and i didn't even know miscarriages happened like we were like oh, wow. 25 years old or whatever. oh wow and it we had our first miscarriage and i'll never forget and again you just get kind of stuck in moments so my wife not, might not even remember this but for me it's like one of those i can remember exactly where i was sitting exactly where i was hearing this song going through that kind of that morning of losing a baby and just being like oh yeah like and just playing it over no kidding and over and over again because it resonated like, okay, yeah, no, this pain is not all that there is. Like there's something else out there that I can right, hold on to. Right. And I think we all hope for that and we all long for that. And this song kind of tapped into that. Yeah, it's it's a lot of what we see actually when we had uh, Nathan Baker Lutz interviewing about the beer and hymns that we do, you know, mm-hmm. a few times a year. The reason that I think for a lot of people, even people who have walked away from the church, these songs have meaning because of a particular time and place. Yep that they heard them or that song came to mean something. It's why we have a room full of 90-year-olds and 21-year-olds like singing loudly together because in in different ways that song met them. And I didn't know that about your story, yep. but that, I imagine that song is going to be meaningful to you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Even if the style becomes passe or the, you know, we've progressed lyrically, whatever it is, whatever you come to a different theological yep. conclusion, yep. it's still going to mean something to you because it like right. resonated in a very specific way to you. And that's, to me, one of the, one of the beauties of music is that arguably music sticks with us longer than a sermon's going to, Correct. you know, or yeah. a tweet <laughs> or, a fa- <laughs> or a Facebook post. I'm not saying those yep. things aren't really, really important. We've committed our lives to them more the sermons than the tweets, yep. but you know what I mean? Like the, the emotionality and the emotional connection and reflection that a song caused you isn't just spiritual, it's physiological. Yep. And I think that there's something to, especially the church, where I was leaning into that a little bit. Yeah. And so that's why I think it, when I came across that song for me, it was more than just like, wow, kind of fun. It's fun, little trivia. What was the number one song? By the way, you mentioned that kind of crossover. Do you know what the number one Christian album of all time was? Uh, or who who it was by? I don't know what the exact album was. Was it Striper? It was Amy Grant. Oh, I believe that. Amy yeah, Grant, I believe that. Crossover, it's this and that. But... She's also sang with Beer and Hymns, by the way. Oh, very nice, mm-hmm. very nice. <laughs> She's got her father's eyes. So... <laughs> okay, Brian Fromm, I'm gonna stop you right there. But I think we often you do a good job of always talking about how songs can kind of and artistry can kind of kind of tap into emotions that just talking can't. Or yeah, just right. And I think I think that's at the heart of that song. So I uh, thought that would be kind of fun to talk about. Well, when we come back. We are going to answer, ask uh, this question, why there's no such thing as a soulmate. Preposterous. Is, is there such thing as a soulmate? That's what we're going to talk about coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs> 
Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad you're joining us today. You can continue the conversation with us at Facebook uh, at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. And you can always text us at 68683. That's 68683. Is this Soundgarden? Is that who this is? Uh, yes. Maybe. Maybe it's Alice in Chains. Alice, coming off Mercy Me, I can only imagine. Maybe it's Modest Mouse. (laughs) (laughs) Is it? I love that inside joke. I love that inside joke. I think we're the only two, actually. We're going to keep going with it, though. Could you imagine, like, we're going to have done this show for, like, five years, and, like, they're going to throw a party for us with Modest Mouse headlining. (laughs) You have these delusions that get bigger and bigger every time I hear them. Speak it into existence, my friend. That sounds like some real Oprah stuff right there, man. Speak it into (laughs) existence. Thanks, Joel. Anyway. Well, before we jump into our conversation here, Judson University is going to welcome global business leader, lead president and trustee, Dr. Larry Drake, as keynote speaker at the 2019 Community Prayer Breakfast. Hear a greeting from Judson alumnus, Ian Simpkins. Oh, I know that guy. Co-host of The Common Good on AM 1160. I've heard of that show. Do I get to go to this? Nope. Nope. I could probably buy a ticket. (laughs) I have a restraining order. And join hundreds of... You can only hang out between four and six. (laughs) And join hundreds of leaders gathering on May 8th in Elgin at the Love Family Christian Foundation at 7.30 a.m. You can secure your ticket to the Judson Community Prayer Breakfast today at judsonu.edu. That's judsonu.edu. You looking forward to that? I am very much so. I also love looking forward to how much you slow down when you give the dot (laughs) before the com or the edu. It is my move. I have a stopwatch. It is your move. Go back and listen to the podcast. At 1160Hope. (laughs) Dot com. <laughs> like totally everyone's don't. waiting with bated breath. Is it dot com? I got it. Dot org? What is it? <laughs> Tell me, Brian. It's dot what? Dot church. Yes. <laughs> dot TV. Yeah. That's funny. Now I'm going to start rushing through them. <laughs> dot com. Dot com. Oh, well, we came across this article at Relevant Magazine, and uh, I find this to be uh, a fascinating topic. It just says this, why there's no such thing as a soulmate. And I think in uh, in I was just going to say in the church in the Christian world, but I would guess uh, in the happy happily ever after world that we live in, right? You get married and you live happily ever after. That we all think that there's that one person out there, there's that soulmate for each one of us. So when I first read this article, I was like, "Come on, Buzzkill! Why is there no such thing? <laughs> Come on, Buzzkill! There's kill. no such thing as a soulmate." So. Um, Maybe you can fill this in a little bit, but then also just what do you think about this? Okay, so we talked about this a teensy bit yesterday, and I'll reiterate some stuff because I think it applies here. So uh, first off, the idea of a soulmate um, does come from ancient mythology and this Mm -hmm. idea that uh, the gods split human beings as a kind of a form of punishment and that ever since then they've had this like general sense of longing for their other half that they supposedly know when they finally do come face-to-face with their soulmate. That's where a lot of, like, the writing and thinking has actually come from. And, again, maybe I'll be Mr. Buzzkill now. You may say, well, that's harmless enough. It's, you know, like a good Hallmark movie, which is an oxymoron. (laughs) But there's something (laughs) to me, uh, and part of what I said yesterday was that Genesis says the two become one, not the halves become whole. And if we begin with this premise that I'm not whole until I marry someone or until I find my soulmate, that will lead, I think, to some rather toxic thinking and behavior. Yep. And it also says something to single people that you're not a full person, which 
Jesus, the Apostle Paul, they should obliterate the notion that you're in any way less a person if you're not with somebody. And I think I've seen this play out in churches in particular in some like really, really unhelpful ways. And it does feel like sometimes the church doesn't even know what to do with this. Like we have a lot of programs for for marriage and for families and, you know, then college and high school and junior high. And then there's like this gap in between where everyone's like, wait, what about us? What do we, what do you, what do you have for us? And often, unfortunately, the sentiment is just hang in there. Mm. Right. So we paint this like waiting room mentality until you find quote unquote the one. What if we spent less time finding the one and more time becoming the one like, like doing like letting the Holy spirit do the work in our lives that needs to happen rather than this search. And and also, I mean, I'm sure that you'll actually end up getting us there better than I will. But I think when we elevate this soulmate idea that anytime that we hit bumpy roads, we assume we've just chosen wrongly. Oh, I got my soulmate wrong. Now I got to go find my actual soulmate because I would never have a fight like this. If this really was my soulmate. And that leads to some, I I just think that the implications, although they seem maybe insignificant, it's actually really worth thinking through. I always think whenever we talk about things like this, you and I have, uh, just different life experiences. I got married at 22, right, right out of college, and uh, and I got married yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Explain those two adorable children we see in all your pictures. Yeah, yeah I gotta you go. got married at what? 32, 30. Yeah, it'll be three years ago this summer. So like 33. Yeah. yeah. So um, you you lived that kind of Christian world, yes. church world of oh, just wait, you'll find someone. Totally. And, uh, Hang in there. And and I never really did, but I still get it. But even though it wasn't my existence, listen to what this author says. All over the world, there are Christian young men and women waiting for that magical moment when they will come face to face and eye to eye with the person that will stir their heart and connect deeply with their soul for the one who will complete them and make them whole. A little bit Jerry Maguire there, right? <laughs> there is no such thing, the author writes, as a person who will complete our souls Because according to God's word, we are only made complete in him. Healthy relationships begin by understanding this completeness. Yeah. I think that's that's powerful. That's to say that that the Bible says there's only one way we are completed and fulfilled, whether single or married. Uh, Because like you said, I think you made a good point to say single people can be left with this concept of soulmate and um, being feeling lesser than. Mm -hmm. And married people can be left going, well, I have to put all my hope and my dreams and my hoped for fulfillment in this other person. Right. We put expectations on our spouse that were never meant to be carried by them. So when they understandably can't meet them, we either feel like they failed us or we failed by selecting them or whatever language you use, it it leads to some really unhelpful thinking. And the other thing that I don't think we do well, though, and I'm saying this now as a married man, but someone who remembers vividly um, being a single person in the church was that so often the stuff that we celebrate the loudest only has to do with married people. Mm. So watch your Facebook blow up when someone is either engaged or yes. is pregnant or has a baby. All those things are beautiful. Keep mm-hmm. celebrating them. But I think we need to also celebrate when a single person like lands that job they've been working hard mm. after or find, you know, they graduate after some, you know, some grueling years or they buy their first home. Like I think that, Singleness can often feel like the junior varsity to the varsity of marriage. Right. And we would never say that because that sounds awful, but don't we sometimes show that by our behavior? Like, what if we created communities where married and single alike, we're doing life together because yep. we all have stuff to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And the subtext when we don't do that is 
we we've arrived, and once you're sort of like at our level, then maybe we can yeah. socialize again. I just think that's really unhelpful, and I don't think it's biblical. Yeah, and the pressure we put on ourselves to be like. Like, if I had to think that I had to live up to this bar of being my wife's soulmate at all times Jeez. and vice versa, like, she, there, there are days that, that, I, that we function like that, and there are days that she can barely tolerate me. <laughs> no comment. And, yep. And, uh, <laughs> and that's just how marriage is. Like, sometimes yeah. part of this is I just don't think in the church that we're, that we're honest enough about what marriage is. That marriage is the greatest thing in the world, and it will cause you lots of pain at times. And yeah. It will cause you lots right. of joy. And uh, it's a great picture of Christ in the church and and not have to put this baggage of, yes, you're finding your soulmate that you will just get, <laughs> you will flow through life with for the rest of time. Yep. Um, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk about something that I didn't know existed until you told me about it. That is the movement of tiny houses hmm. and how so- one church is using this movement of tiny houses uh, to try to rectify the problem of homelessness in their city. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com, or you can find old shows uh, via podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, to rate them, uh, pass them on to friends, all sorts of stuff. What did you suggest? Give them as a Christmas gift. I, did. <laughs> I think there's, uh, there's some potential there. Is there? Mary, I hope somebody does. If you do it, I want to hear about we got it. A couple months to figure this out. So <laughs> we got a couple months. Also, you can text us at six eight six eight three. That's six eight six eight three. Type CG in the comment section, followed by whatever it is uh, that you'd love to share with us. Hey, one of the things we've enjoyed doing. Uh, since we've started this show that I've really um, it's been fun is to say, hey, here's a picture of a church doing like kind of what the church is supposed to do. So you and I have had uh, we've kind of affectionately called these uh, off air. These are kind of our feel good stories, but not just like, oh, isn't that a nice story? But also to say, hey, we want to encourage people out there saying, look at what this church did. Look at what this church did for a couple different reasons. One of them is to if you're a pastor or you're involved in a church to say, hey, your church could think creatively yeah. about ways to love their neighbors and, and be a presence within the community. Like I know as a pastor of the ch- of a church, some of these types of stories we've done have really gotten my mind going mm-hmm. like, huh, that's not a big deal of what they're doing, but it's really making a difference. And so we want to highlight those. So if you know of uh, churches in this area doing things, uh, we'll go so far as have the pastor in. We'll That'd talk be great. about it. And so, yeah. uh, Hit us up by on on Facebook or text us and uh, contact information. We would love to just hear really cool things that churches are doing, particularly to to serve and love on their neighbors and love the community. Because we all, I'm sure your church says this, my church says it. We always say, if we were to go away, we want the community to miss us. Yeah, and that just doesn't happen. That requires some intentionality, and uh, and that. So uh, this one is Central Church of the Nazarene in the city of Portland. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what they're doing? So uh, Pastor Matt Huff did uh, an interview with the Christian Post, and essentially what they're doing, they're calling it Agape Village, uh, which will feature 15 specially designed tiny houses Hmm. um, to help give people a leg up to people in particular that need housing. And this is not the only community actually that has adopted this sort of like tiny house movement. I remember, you know, so I'm from Detroit a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, Cass Community Social Services did a similar thing where they're creating these like 
neighborhoods within a neighborhood because tiny homes have such a small footprint. They can build a bunch of them on like a, you know, a, a small plot of land. And uh, so churches now are kind of adopting this, this approach. Um, so it says volunteers from the church are helping to build the community where along with shelter, people can find community and will have access to case managers who will help them find employment as well as addiction specialists. Uh, Huff hopes that soon other local churches will get involved and adopt each of the pods, he explained to CP. I'm not just asking for them to come and be friends with the people in it, uh, and then the church can love them and give them socks if they need socks or wish them a happy birthday. So they're really, it sounds like doing it right, not just yeah. building something and saying, all right, best of luck, but like, how do we get people, how, building the homes is a really, really great first step, but how mm. do we actually build an infrastructure of relationships? Um, because, and I think we were just talking about this yesterday a little bit, you know, the, the article that I read a few months ago said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Yeah. So it can't just be about getting people clean. It's about also um, providing for their needs, but also helping meet social needs, helping them connect with other humans. And like you kind of teed up, this this is the church being the church yes. in, in a really, really powerful way. And go online and just Google tiny houses because they are literally what they sound like. And it's such a... It seems like an obvious solution to homelessness and other things. Like, it's not, hey, give these uh, people who are, don't have a home, like, this beautiful home. It's, like, literally, like, let's get them into a structure to where they have a roof over their head and it can begin the foundation of a building process. Like, when I see these, I remember seeing about a city like you were talking about in Detroit or whatever who was doing this. Uh, I forget where the where the uh, city was, but I remember watching 2020 or something like that doing this and just watching it going this is the most obvious solution I could think of. And yeah. why is this not more widespread? And so this is a church kind of saying the same thing, like, Hey, we're going to put this. And I love that they're putting it, I believe on their campus. Like just like not, we're not trying to put almost people as far away from us as possible, but we'll build them house. But like, no, right here, we've got the land. Yep. We've got this. And I'm sure they had to go through lots of headaches of trying to get this passed. I doubt this was an easy thing to do, but as you said, this is so much the church being the church, we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. Like how many of us, if we were homeless, would be like, no, no, I'm good. I don't need a house. Like how, just think about how life-changing this is. And then there's the, the side benefit of those uh, men and women who help build these houses. Like yeah. what cooler thing than to say, I helped build a, a little home for a homeless person yep. to, uh, to be able to have a roof over their heads. And then I love what you said. Then now they're coming alongside these people and saying, let's, uh, Let's help you understand now how to, so you don't end up in the same situation you were in and, right. and really digging in and getting their, their hands dirty, if you will, and saying, we're going to be uh, the hands and feet of Jesus, starting with a home, but then walking you through a process. And that's one thing I've been impressed by with a lot of these things that we've highlighted is the longevity that mm. people are willing to put in and be like, no, you know what, we're going to help you with this, but then we're going to continue to help you. And continue seeing going in. And that's from parachurch organizations like, um, what was it, Hesed House that was in a couple weeks ago, uh, to these kind of churches just saying, nope, we're going to we're gonna do the difference we can do. And yep. it's just, it's it's inspiring. Yeah, and it's not, so I don't know how much you know about the tiny home movement. I've actually... I don't know anything. I've been following the tiny house movement for more than a decade, for a long... Not, I did not know it was a movement. Yeah, it, it, most, it most certainly is. In fact, for a, for a long time, and still a little bit, Today, I've always kind of fantasized about living in a tiny home. Um, for, for real? For, Why? I, I mean, a whole lot of reasons, not the yep. least of which is it is sort of a forced minimalism. You just don't have space to yeah. be storing. I mean, like, the statistics about um, the storage unit industry, even 
just in the United States is staggering. Now, I know that there's reasons mm. to store your stuff, but the vast majority of people are literally paying to store their extra stuff at a different place because we have it's so crazy, much stuff. In tiny homes, it just sort of forces a, a minimalism. You get a lot of bang for your buck, too. You, know, you can get, like, every... You know every every fixture you want or whatever if that's your jam, but also you have you have to you're forced to utilize the space really well, and uh, so it, it isn't. You mentioned earlier I, a lot of these tiny homes are actually really breathtaking too. So it's not just like a, a simple cardboard structure. A lot of them are, are actually very visually beautiful, and people are getting really creative. People are building tiny homes out of like portable storage units. So this is a whole other part of the movement where you can just literally get like a metal crate set to your property and people are, are uh, retrofitting those as wow. homes and not just as vacation homes or cabins, like they're actual home homes. And so they're, the the thing that's beautiful beautiful about them is that they can be uh, built and retrofitted pretty um, inexpensively, and um, you can fit a lot in a small space. So if if you if the context is to create community, you know, in a lot of in a lot of neighborhoods in the bur in the burbs, your closest neighbor is not all that close to you. Correct. You get a dozen or fifteen tiny homes on the same kind of plot of land. Like oh, you're doing life together now. And there's something mm. really beautiful about people who are at their most vulnerable, who are most in need of like human connection. Um, being placed in a context where it's not just, hey, we're going to get you an apartment, which is a lot of people close together but pretty isolated. Yep. Put them in an actual physical context where like human connection and relationships uh, can really thrive. It's like a step from a commune. It's kind of like you're all yeah, right there. It's, it's not dissimilar, man, but there, there's some there's some wisdom there for sure. I didn't even know this was a movement. So Huge. Something people are choosing to do. Absolutely. And minimalists. And, you should stay in one sometime. There's a bunch that you can find on Airbnb, even if just for a night, if it's just you and your wife somewhere. like It's it's worth the experience of spending a night in a tiny home because you will realize, like I, maybe I don't actually need quite all the space that I've sort of grown accustomed no to. No doubt. It's pretty remarkable. No doubt. Can my three kids get in there too? We're all just squeezing. On, there's, honestly, there are stories of families of five, six, seven. Really? Living tiny. Yeah. Yep. It's That's pretty incredible. Fascinating. Well, now this moved from this moved from celebrating this church to going, there's a whole movement out there that I was unaware of. It really is. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. When I read this, I've seen a couple different things and said, well, that's cool Like that some people are doing this, but you're saying this is kind of a... A groundswell. Well, that's really cool. If you don't know about it, like me, go go online and check out the tiny home movement. Tiny homes movement. But more than that, we want to encourage churches out there to be doing things creatively to love their neighbors that's and right. to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Again, if you know of people, if you know of churches doing things, send them our way either the text line six eight six eight three or on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Well, you're listening to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life, for Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Uh, come on back and join us after the break. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can text us at 68683, type in CG followed by your comment. 
And as always, you can find us online at 1160hope.com. <laughs> See someone who had been here earlier to know why that was funny. See, this is why you need to podcast. You can also listen to our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. You can subscribe. You can rate us and do, uh, and hopefully you enjoy it as you go. So, uh, And even if you're listening on podcast, you can still text us. We would still love the feedback to hear uh, as we interact with the various things we've talked about. Uh, before we jump into the next topic, you know, books can shape our lives and change the way we think. This week only, visit 1160hope.com slash contest for your chance to win One Perfect Life and One Faithful Life by Dr. John MacArthur. These biographies of Jesus and of Paul will challenge and enrich your faith, so enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. So uh, this would have been a good thing to talk to Dallas Jenkins about it during Media Monday, but there was an interesting uh, uh, article that came out, some research that was done around the really controversial show that you might remember called 13 Reasons Why. Do you remember that show, 13 Reasons Why? Yeah. And it was basically uh, around teenage suicide. And at the time, it was a Netflix show or is a Netflix show that first aired on March 31st of 2017, telling the fictional story of a teen girl who kills herself. And when it first came out, uh, the the big pushback of it was all you're doing is glorifying suicide to young people who are really susceptible to um, to to being to they're really impressionable around these things. And there was a fear uh, that this would kind of bring about uh, an increase in suicide. And now uh, there is a study that was done by the National Institute of Mental Health, which is part of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And they found uh, that suicide rate among youth ages 10 to 17 increased nearly 30 percent during the month following the release of 13 Reasons Why. That's a staggering Amount And one that can't really be explained away like, oh, that's coincidental. Uh, and so it, I want to take this from two ends. Let's start with kind of the, uh, the one that, that's a little less dark and, and heavy. And that is uh, what a testimony to the power of media in the lives of our children. So I'm doing some additional research while you're yep. reading. I think it's more coincidental than you think. Oh, great. <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> I'm just saying, I, we're, you know, this that statement is taken from one article, ChristianHeadlines.com, but, uh, you know, I've read three or four now here that say the study that was conducted over a five-year period and that you did see this spike in April, but you didn't see an increased spike like at the premiere of season two. There's other sorts of correlations. Now, I'm not a statistician, but I have right. friends and some of them listen that are, and I know that sometimes... Stats like this can be used in really inflammatory ways to point a finger, to point blame uh, at a single source. Now, I'm not saying that any of this is in my wheelhouse whatsoever, so there could be a correlation, but it does seem like in the three or four that I just read that uh, the correspondence may not be as strong as some publications seem to make it out to sound. And that would be awfully coincidental. Yeah? Why? Possible. Okay. 30 percent's a big so deal. So why, why wouldn't you see a corresponding number then in the months that followed or the premiere season two? Because I would think that, I, I mean, think about your own, maybe as one who had kids, right, in that age kind of group, especially my daughter, uh, I didn't even know there was a season two. But when season one came out, we were getting flooded with emails from the schools. Uh, it was all over the news. It you was, were also getting emails about the Momo challenge, though. It also turned out to be a hoax. I understand. But my point is, is that I think that... Uh, the amount of publicity this show got when it first came out uh, dwarfs any of the publicity to the following seasons. And so 
Uh, I totally get what you're saying. I would probably argue uh, that season two's premiere was um, was much smaller deal than season one. And maybe part of the maybe part of the issue here is that some such a big deal was made about it. I don't know uh, that it highlighted it, but I do remember when it first came out in March of 2017, um, getting inundated by um, uh, talk. They were talking to students in school about it. They were highlighting it. They were sending stuff home to the kid, to the parents. Uh, and, of course, as happens on Facebook and Twitter, it was all over there. And so um, I would probably guess, in my opinion, that, that that also might have had something to do with it. Yeah, I, I just think it's a weak association, to be honest. I think, um, I think this feels a lot like uh, looking, for, looking for a single option to point blame. I'm not saying that kids aren't very impressionable by music and media and movies. I think the heavy promotion of a Netflix show uh, as solely or chiefly responsible for that kind of spike just seems really improbable to me. So what would you, why would you think, and this is an unanswerable question, but this isn't a 5% rise. This is a 30% rise coincidentally the month after this show comes out. That, that feels like something. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not anything. I'm saying those numbers didn't sustain at all. So to just simply look at the statistics for one month as causation feels like um, uh, it feels irresponsible, to be honest. I, f- I feel like the, the way that we talk about um, these types of things, it's, it's honestly some of where I think we really struggle in the church and as Christians is we like two-page silver bullet solutions when we talk about really, really complex realities that involve both mental health and family systems and environment and brain science and honestly diet and extra, like there's so much more going on to me. It just, you know, it, it reeks a little bit of a too simplistic, too reductionistic option to say this Netflix show um, is mainly responsible for this spike. Uh, And the solution then becomes unavoidably, we need to get that show off the air rather than let's look at the massively complex system structures and patterns that lead to these types of tragedies. I, I hear very few people that want to blame this show offering those types of ways forward. Agreed. Cause if you read on later in the article, it does say, let's get rid of the show. What I would, right, what exactly. I would suggest is a lot of those things that you suggested uh, are constant. And therefore, what would cause a 30% spike, coincidentally, than something else added into those constants? But we can't know. It's But there uh, are a lot of spikes during the course of this five-year study, though. If you look at the research of the five-year study, this isn't the only spike. There, I, there was a number of spikes over the course of those five years um, that don't associate with the Netflix show that n- no one's raising a stink about those, is, is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen those, so I don't know that they're thirty percent or this that. But let's let's take it this way. Okay. Ready? Uh, you have shared with me before. I've never uh, had the burden of doing the, a funeral for a suicide. You've done them on multiple occasions, which I, have, I just yeah. can't imagine. To be honest with you, it's heartbreaking. And um, and I I would guess standing up before people and trying to make any sense of any of that. Yeah has got to be such an enormous burden. And I guess I'm not just, I guess I am asking you, how do you do it? My, my first, what, do you, my, what do you say to people? Because the article, whether it, it's a, it's something to debate whether this show had anything to do with it. Yeah. What's heartbreaking is a 30% increase in teen suicide at any point for any reason. Yeah. And that teens even 
commit suicide, but they do it more than most, right? Like that age is particularly susceptible. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess I'm asking, what do you say in that situation? Yeah. So your original question was, how do you make sense of it? Yeah, and that's I, not what I do. Yep. It's, yep. It is not priority that's one good. is to make sense of it, to try to uh, explain it away or even to give solutions. The first response is to grieve. And I think, honestly, that is so hard for us to do that when we as leaders can model it well, um, that alone doesn't make any of the pain go away, but it does cause the people gather to say, Oh, he, he didn't jump right to it's Friday, but Easter's coming. Yeah. You know what I mean, like it's yeah. no, we, we just sit in the pit of grief. And I think it, it does obviously vary based on, you know, what the family's faith history is or what their, what their current, I mean, there's so many other variables yep. that, you know, I've done probably, unfortunately half a dozen uh, like this and they're each um, so uniquely heartbreaking and devastating and uh, to varying degrees some of them can really still feel like a celebration of life though we can still get wow. there sometimes and, and other times no. you don't you you just leave with an absolutely heartbreaking sense of gosh I had no idea or I will say it does have a way of kind of snapping us out of our sleepwalking state when we look at the people gathered and we say Oh, there's a lot of really, really uh, important people here that I haven't talked to in eight months. Yeah, you've talked and, about that. You know, that kind of quote unquote life gets in the way, yep. you know, like, how, can we still celebrate the life of somebody who is like really, really um, struggling? Yes, I think we absolutely can. Can we also say that we need to do better? We yep. need to, we need to make connection, human connection, vulnerability a priority. Yeah. And we can't just put it, we can't put all the onus uh, on the shoulders of those who are struggling. Yep. So often the conclusion is, and if you're hurting, you raise a hand. Uh, That's clearly said by someone who's never been clinically depressed. Because yep. sometimes it takes us being proactive and saying, man, can I be with you in some way? Is there a way that I can help you? Rather just, hey, if you need anything, let me know. Yeah, yeah That I think is uh, often what kind of perpetuates this idea that nobody understands me, nobody gets me. And, and unfortunately, you know, we keep seeing this happen. And I've got three kids now about my, my youngest about to turn 10, about to be all three of them in that exact age group that this article talks about. Yeah, wow. And man, you still think of your kids as little innocent kids who don't deal with anything. And all they right. want to do is, you know, eat a snack after, after school and come home and to just even read statistics about that age group that they even keep statistics for that right, age that group they even that exist. my kid is right. in. Right. It's heartbreaking, but it also raises the bar for us as parents, for youth pastors, for aunts and uncles, for pastor, whatever. Uh, it really raises the bar for taking seriously uh, mental health and and taking seriously their emotions. So yeah. So thanks for sharing, man. I know that's deeply personal when you have to do a funeral and talk about it. Yeah. Uh, well, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about friendship, uh, and particularly if your friends are all Christian, uh, this article surmises, and you're missing the point of following Jesus. That's what's coming up next on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. You can always text us at 68683. That's 68683. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, or you can find our podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And uh, you said you've been listening to our podcast every now and then. Do you listen to it at like two, double the speed? Or I like- haven't yet been able to pull that off. I don't know why. I want you to try going as fat, like go up another half every time and see how fast you could get. I don't think that's how it works. I think you only get one, one and a half, and two. Oh, you can't get that like hyperspeed? Have you, <laughs> I'm kidding. Have you ever I used podcasts yes, before? I, all the time. I understand. <laughs> you can find out more at podcast.com. <laughs> Wherever it is, you get your podcasts. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, that's funny. Well, we're glad you're joining us today. One of the things we like to do, especially, you know, you and I uh, are pastors. I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. You're at Community Christian Church in Naperville. Uh, is that we like to kind of uh, try to help all of us have conversations about how do we live out our faith on a regular basis? I like to use the term Christianly, and then we had a guest use it the other day, and I couldn't have been more excited. But how do we you how do we live Christianly? How does all aspects of our lives uh, look increasingly like Jesus? And this article kind of gets at that when it comes to friendship. It says this: If your friends are all Christians, you're missing the point of following Jesus. That is a bold statement to make. Uh, kind of flesh this out for us a little bit. His name is Andrew Voigt. What is Andrew saying to us? I don't know. I haven't read it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you my thoughts, though, if you want. I would like to hear it. So uh, I'm already predisposed to like (laughs) articles like this just because, you know, the whole holy huddle thing is still, oddly enough, quite an issue. I think that there's a a general sense that uh, I either, A, can't hang out with, those people, or B, if I do, I can only do so as long as I'm evangelizing, right? Yep. Like, I can only go bowling with you as long as I get 20 minutes of your time to, like, sell you Jesus. You're like, now you sound like an Amway salesman. Yep. You know, yep. like, there's a, there's this sentiment that we can't just be friends with non-Christians for the sake of being friends. And I think, okay, so don't don't we see some of that in the life of Jesus? Mm-hmm. No, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I mean, again, we should be very, very careful about comparing like our apologetic to yep. Jesus because he's also like raising people from the dead left and right. So yep. maybe, maybe we should be careful about saying, well, Jesus did it yeah. so I can do that. I'm going to flip tables over. You're like, you're not <laughs> the Messiah. So calm down. But he he spent so much time with those people that the religious elite didn't just say, "Oh, he's." I don't. I don't know that I like his time management. They said yeah. that man is a drunk and a glutton. You have to spend some serious time with those on the fringes to be accused of that that level of behavior. Which I think means Jesus seemed to dedicate some pretty serious real estate mm. to actually spending time with them, befriending people who one didn't look anything like him in terms of you know spirituality, religiosity, but two. Um, probably couldn't really stand to benefit him. So, like, when we when we see our interactions with those outside of the church, which even that phrase is yep, yep. problematic in so many levels. Like, I think people smell it out when they realize that we're only interacting with them as a part of an evangelistic effort. I think people know that, and I think it undermines the whole thing. Like, oh, so you don't actually like me? You don't actually see any of my humanity. You don't, you're not actually really interested even in me. You're just interested in my soul going mm. to heaven when I die. And I've heard people say, like, yeah, that's the highest form of love you can show someone is tell them the truth. I don't I don't know that that always applies necessarily. I think we've justified some pretty t- terrible behavior with that kind of thinking. Yep. And what would it look like to just befriend people for the sake of befriending them and to do it in a, in a way that Jesus would. That, yeah. I think that's possible, but I just think it's really rare. Why? Why do, why do we think that's rare? I, I'm guessing Jesus wasn't like, again, albeit for me to presume what was going on in Jesus's mind, but... You, know, I, you don't write for The Chosen. I, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. That was really funny. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but 
I, I'm guessing Jesus wasn't like today. My strategy is to go befriend, the, you know, the, um, to be a friend of sinners. That's what I'm going to go. But I think he just was right. Yeah. And I think you used exactly the right word that for some reason in in our evangelical world, in our church world, it's often rare. Hmm. And I guess I want to get at why is it rare? Because I'm with you. I tend to be friends with other Christians, whether they be in my church or. It's easy. You have this in common. So it makes sense that that would be your. I I don't think you need to feel bad about that part. Right. Brian Fromm, the pastor, you're a pastor and you're a Christian radio talk host. Like that makes sense to me that the natural gravitational. Maybe that's the whole point, though, because Jesus knows those who are like in are already going to have this natural, like inward sort of gravitational pull that to stand against that. Isn't that often what he's saying? Like, yep. hey, when when the pull towards accumulating more wealth is sort of starting to whisper in your ear, give it away. Mm. When the pull towards like higher and higher power, like become the least of these. And maybe Ooh. in the same way, I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking off the top. I like of, it. I like you. The, the pull is like, yeah, just keep hanging out with people who already look, talk, act, and believe just like you do. He's saying push against that because there's there's beauty on the other side of just simply being with people and and not in any sort of because the other part that we, we we do sometimes say and I don't think we realize how it sounds is like, oh I need to spend time with broken non Christians like don't pretend like you're not broken too mm. Christian this whole like <laughs> uh, I'll bless you with my time as a Christ follower I'm clearing my schedule to hang out with the riffraff on Tuesdays and Thursdays you're like <laughs> I don't yeah, think that's the yeah. point either and I think to to get back to your question why is it so rare. I think we're really highly systematized mm. and we really like deliverables and measurables. And when we create, and I'm not anti those things, yep. but when we try to like program diatribo, right? This just life on life. When we try to make that really um, sterile. And I think it loses some of the lifeblood of like, what does it look like just to throw parties at our house? Like yeah. to have barbecues and then literally everyone's invited over to have a barbecue to like hang out and tell stories. Like that to me feels so much closer to the way of Jesus than like, you know, make, making sure everything has a nice, tidy bow on the top. Yep. And this author writes, Christianity is more palatable when it's presented with a playbook of what to do, what to say, and how to look. It's easier to befriend people to simply tell them about Jesus. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, right. Rather than befriend them to be Jesus to them. Be their friend to convert them is not what Jesus taught, the author writes. How do you think we start to know? How do you know in your own life when you are befriending people to convert them or to tell them about Jesus as opposed to befriending people to befriend people. Yeah, right. Is uh, Are there ever any, ever any red flags to, for you that you notice in your life or is it just something you know when you know? Always. No, there's always sorts of red flags. Yeah. I, I am embarrassingly cowardice at times. Mm. I don't even, I, I know that like the Lord has prompted me to say something and I'll like mm. bite my tongue. I like more times than I can, like that's, I'm really, really not proud of that fact. Um, I think sometimes when I, it's the drive over when I think through if, if part of the thought of my brain is how can I steer this towards blank? Uh, that's an indication like, oh, you are going to evangelize. <laughs> you're, you're, you're seeing their house as a mission field, which yes. you can make the case. The whole world is a mission field and yep, yep. you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I, yeah, it's the kind of questions that I think you will know the answer to if you're willing to actually lean into them. Like, yeah. do I actually truly fully care about this person? And not just in a Jesus loves the little children kind of way, but like mm. in a, man, I love this guy. I love this couple. I love this family. And I'm going to keep showing up because of my deep affection for them that I believe is a result of God's love for me. 
and I'm just going to keep leaning in. I'm going to keep showing up. And if the goal is just deliverables and like, man, how much more am I going to have to hang out with them before they finally come times. to church? Right? <laughs> you have like this baptism deadline on your calendar. Like, oh, three weeks left to get them in the water. You're like, that is probably a clear indication yeah. that it's become more of a, a chore or a task for you. That's good. Uh, do you ever, um, uh, sometimes it goes the other way. And sometimes I feel like once people find out that I'm a pastor, yeah, it actually starts to shut things or change things. It oh, doesn't shut things. That's for sure. Things. Are, do you ever like do all you can to kind of extend the time before they know that oh. you're a pastor? <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of the weird dynamics people yeah. don't realize about what it's like to be a pastor. Like you go golfing with your neighbor and about the sixth hole, they're like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, sorry for what I said on the fourth hole. <laughs> right. I'm right, good. Right, right. Or sorry that I drank around. Yes. Just like, yes. And all of a sudden you feel like that wall from the other side. I always think that's such a weird dynamic. It is a weird dynamic. And I, and I, uh, I don't know that. Pastors are always right in extending it, but I certainly get the impulse. Yep. Like I, but it's sort of like this. Uh, you know, it feels like you're undercover, which yeah. does perpetuate the sense that you're like on an undercover mission. Yep. Like, what if we were just? I mean, if you met people and uh, someone knows you from the neighborhood, let's say, you're like, yep. oh man, I don't care, if Brian from. I don't care if he's a pastor, or construction worker. I see the way that he like loves his wife and cares right. for his kids. That guy is like intentional to people that he interacts with. Like whatever it is that he does almost become secondary to the life that you're living. And I think part of what you and I probably feel is that there's so many caricatures of what a pastor is that are so yep. unfavorable that we like, we, we like distance ourselves from exactly. that to try and like maybe earn some credibility first before we drop this bomb on them. Like also, hey, I've never asked you what I'm you a do. Pastor. I'm, right. I'm a pastor. <laughs> right, I'm a pastor. Right. There sometimes can be an understandable reluctance. I think. It is fun. So you could text us at 68683. We would love to hear uh, even some of your feedback about if th- is this a struggle for you? Is this something difficult? Is this even something that's important? Uh, so again, you could do that at 68683. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to ask this question. Did Jesus ever promise us an easy life? If so, what's that look like? If not, then what did he promise us? That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the common good. I feel like it's just teleported. <laughs> Where are we? Where are we? We were in 1987. I don't know what's going on. Right That's good music right there. Is it that though? Is modest mouse techno no, style. Okay, we gotta that we gotta ease up it. on the modest mouse jokes. Anyway, this is the common good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm joined by Ian Simpkins. Uh, we are excited to be with you today. Something we're doing today, you know, we're reading we're reading some of our liners in the midst of our conversation. So Ooh, uh, why fancy. Don't you, why don't you go ahead and do that for All us? All right, here we go. Have you been blessed by Through the Bible's five-year verse-by-verse study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee? If you have, let the ministry know they've impacted your life. You can visit 1160hope.com slash letter. Through the Bible airs weekday mornings at 5 and weekday evenings at 1030 only on AM 1160. How was that? That was great. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. You're so encouraging. It was a Thanks, good man. job. <laughs> Thanks, man. It was risky because couldn't redo it. It was good. It was it's good. true. That's it is a little nerve wracking to do because we like just kind of vamp and riff so often. Yep. And like having to really read something with precision. What I'm and what I I'm, almost interjected in the middle of it, but I thought I'd get in <laughs> trouble. Like, oh, then shit. you're like, "Have you been blessed?" Sure. Right. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Really, what I'm saying is, I'm 36 years old and I struggle reading out loud. <laughs> That's still terrifying to me. I also wish people could read these copies that we get because they don't like put a dot but they write dot like they just it's <laughs> like holding true. our hand like 
Like, don't screw this don't, one up, ma'am. Is, is that not, why you pause when you say dot com? Not, <laughs> because it's <says> parentheses <laughs> pause dot com. <laughs> you read the parentheses as a pause. It's like <laughs> we're increasingly turning into Anchorman, right? We'll read whatever's put in front of us. Who put the question mark on the teleprompter? <laughs> Stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy. Well, the segment is over. <laughs> <laughs> We've just been yucking it up. I love Anchorman. <laughs> That's good. That's it is. Good. It is a classic. Anyway. Uh, again, we talk about this often, you and I both being pastors, and I think sometimes one of the things that we struggle with, probably in our own lives, but also we get questions from people, is most people believe in their minds that that following Jesus isn't a promise to the easy life and the good life, although the statistics about the prosperity gospel would say otherwise. Uh, I read a quote the other day that the prosperity gospel, at its core, uh, this was such a helpful uh, thing for me to read, that the prosperity gospel, the, their biggest problem about the prosperity gospel is it just treats Jesus as useful as opposed to worthy oh, of worship. Wow. He's a, he's a means to an end as opposed to being the end that, that did it for me. I was like, Oh yeah, because there's other things where it's not like do this and you get money. But where, if we looked at it, we're like, Oh, I'm still just treating Jesus as useful you know, for myself. I, I think that was really good. Yeah. I remember hearing somebody a couple of years ago say it was a preaching course that I took and yeah. you're saying people are asking less and less, is it true? And they're asking more and more, does it work? Yeah. Even that shift in like how we think about preaching, people are less concerned, it seems, with, oh, is that true? More like, does that work? Will yeah. that actually make my marriage better? Will that help me raise my kids? Will that, and that usefulness on the surface seems uh, harmless, yeah. right? Yeah. But when when we get so utilitarian that it's like, Jesus is the vehicle by which I get exactly. to the real stuff, that is dangerous. Which is a lot of the prosperity gospel. He's your yeah, vehicle to health, to wealth, to whatever, prosperity. Uh, Interesting. And this is one of those where I think a lot of us just buy into um, this one. It's that if you come to faith in Jesus, your life will become, quote unquote, easier. Hmm. There's a, there, there's some sort of uh, faith in Jesus is ushering into you, in, ushering you into an easy life. And, and you can understand how people get there, right? Because we talk about when you're when you're uh, away from Christ, you are lost. We use words like lost and darkness and this and that. And so then if you're found, it, you could go, <laughs> well, okay, and that is easier than being lost. Like you could see how people's minds get there, uh, but it's a dangerous thing to buy into because when your life inevitably is not easy, when mm. those storms come, yes. who do you blame? Right. What do you give up on? Right. I must not be doing this faith thing right, or it's not uh, useful. It's not what it promised. So I'm out. So what? how do you answer that when people are like, hey, uh, yeah, my life isn't as easy as I thought it would be once I came to faith, or is that what I should expect, or take it however you want? You know, uh, I, I have tried to, in, in, my, uh, in my old age, uh, <laughs> I have learned to lead with that question with more grace than I have in the past, yep. because I've realized how many people were actually handed that version of faith. Mm. So when they come to me... They maybe didn't, hopefully didn't hear it from me, but they're legitimately frustrated that the thing they were handed, whether as kids or in their adult years or whenever it was, um, as this will make my life easier and the bottom just dropped out, it actually makes sense that they would then ask their pastor, hey, do I feel gypped here. What what yes. about the promise that life would get easier? And so rather than like, that's not in the Bible. Yes, he didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I have to say, okay, you were shaped in some way, shape, or form, by an ideology and a philosophy that made Jesus out to be something that he never claimed he would be. And I think leading with patience there is is really, really important, rather than just, your exegesis is wrong, like that, um, (laughs) is, is, I just, in a lot of ways, not the work of the pastor. And I think 
Um, I think Eugene Peterson, who I've been quoting a lot of lately. You have. Uh, so he wrote a book called Run With the Horses, and he said, um, we don't become whole persons by merely wanting to become whole, by consulting the right prophets, by reading the right book. Intentions must mature into commitments if we're to become persons with definition, with character and substance. Mm. And so a lot of times when somebody asks me that question, um, what I want to ask them a little bit is, okay, so let's work through, like, what are we, what are we committing to together as a community? Because I meant, I believe that we're meant to do this communitas yeah. together. Um, what would it look like in the next month, the next year, actually, what would maturity look like in the light of what it is that you're addressing? And people tend to find that as like a, a, a much less threatening on-ramp to, and rather than like, oh, your theology's wrong. Yep. Get it right. I just don't think theology, I don't think the gospel is ever furthered by that kind of posture, mm. particularly to people's legitimate, like, sorrows and complaints and heartache, yeah. you know? It's it's one thing, you're like, oh, I haven't been able to find a parking spot close to the building in a month. It's another thing when it's like, um, my husband's been sick for a long time and mm. we keep on praying and nothing's changing. What are we doing wrong? Yep. You know what I mean? Like, that's an opportunity, I think, to be pastoral that a lot of times we miss. Yeah. Uh, and I do like how this author writes it. It says, by choosing to follow the real Jesus, you've chosen a path that will be difficult, demanding, and trying at times. It's not often what we preach, but... <laughs> yeah, right. But you've chosen it with the belief and faith that in the end, this way of life is both good and best. On the basis of that faith, you move forward, putting one obedient foot in front of the other. Mm. And that for me, like a lot of times, right, when we talk about Jesus's famous words of, come to me, all you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. We think of rest as ease. Like oh, I'm going when I rest, you know what I do? I sit on the couch and I watch television and I eat a snack and I just don't really think about what's going on in the world. Right. That's restful for me. Or I mm. sit on my deck on a, if the sun ever comes out again and, <laughs> and just kind of enjoy an iced tea and just kind of sit and read a book or just yeah. enjoy being. And so we take that rest to mean, well, I come to Jesus and he gives me ease. Yeah. Rest. And when that's not what Jesus is talking about, right? He said, I've given you some sort of grounding, a peace that, uh, yeah. Uh, and and that's therein lies the difference. And and it, you might be like, well, that's just semantics. It's not. It's it, not. Well, is, even the yoke that he talks about, yes. right? A, a yoke was something that was used to do work. Yep. But he's saying, no, this yoke fits. You've been wearing a yoke that doesn't fit. My yoke fit. I think yep. it was Dallas Willard actually who said, "Great grace isn't opposed." to effort as opposed to earning. Mm. So when we see ourselves as like earning God's affection or favor, well, then that becomes a problem. But it doesn't mean that grace means like now we don't have to try anymore. It means we, we how can I say it? We don't work for God's favor, but we certainly work from it. Because we already mm. have it, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that free gift of grace then, you better believe we put blood, sweat, and tears yep. on what we do because yep. it's not the opposite. It's It actually fuels it. And I think in light of all of that, that sometimes means that we will hit brick walls and yep. we will face difficulty. And as Jesus said, in many in many different ways, sometimes the world's going to straight up hate you. Like that yep. That sounds to me like difficulty. Yeah. And and what I like to remind myself and remind people is that the the promise isn't uh, the promise isn't necessarily prosperity and ease. The promise is presence. Mm. Uh, he says, you know, I will be with you always. And you know what? If you if. if if we buy into that, that you're going to get the easy life, then then what you've got to wrestle with is, well, then clearly Jesus's closest disciples were doing something wrong because hmm. they all died. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. They all uh, pretty horrific all, deaths, by the way. They all ended really badly. Yeah, right. And so they didn't go quietly in their sleep. Most of them. Yep, yep. And and you know Jesus himself said, "In this world, you will have trouble." And uh, but we live in a culture that so values ease and so values the good life, right? That that 
to say following Jesus leads to anything else seems to mm. diminish following Jesus, and, and we don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think it was uh, Scott Fitzgerald, right? Nothing nothing any good isn't hard, <laughs> right? Like that, that is, uh, and yeah. we, you know, we even just earlier talking about marriage, like is marriage good? Absolutely. Is it hard? Absolutely. Yep. If, if, if we get handed this cotton candy version of Christianity or marriage or any of those things, then it would make sense then that the first line of difficulty we'd say we're yeah. out. And yep. so if you're facing difficulty, please know that just because you're hitting a pothole right now does not mean you're in any like outside of God's will yes. or even abandoned. In fact, look at the characters of scripture. Many of them face incredible difficulty yep. in God over and over and over again promises that we're not alone, that he never leaves us or forsakes us. Absolutely. If you're out there right now and you're struggling, does God love me because life is hard? We hope you hear that truth. Yeah. And he promises his presence. Uh, and to just as that author said, keep putting one obedient foot in front of the other. Hmm. Well, this is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. We have reached that point in the show. For the disclaimer. <laughs> Ooh, that's so ominous for sounding. the disclaimer. Uh, Ian and I love to end every show with just crazy things. Not crazy things we found from the internet. Who found them, Brian? Our executive producer, Keith Conrad, found them. I've heard of him. He puts the the drops to them. What's a drop again? Like the sound effects afterwards. Okay. Or the I knew that already, that but just laugh. for our listeners. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Uh, sometimes these are just wildly hilarious. Sometimes they're questionable in nature, but we don't know them. So Sometimes they're kind of dark. <laughs> Can we just say that? And you know what's fun is Keith is in our studio as we're reading them this yeah, time. Yeah, he's so just staring just... at us from behind a so if it's blind. Dark, if it's dark, we could just turn to him and shake our head no. So. And, and no one will know we're doing it. We'll tell them. All right, you go first. <laughs> All right. New York, like to nap? Yes. <laughs> Mattress firm summer snooze turn? Nice. Snooze turn internship lets you sleep on the job. Ah, <laughs> this is amazing. If you've been sleeping on your summer internship possibilities, here's a potential solution. Applies, apply to be a snooze turn for mattress firm. Napping is encouraged as a part of the position, which involves testing new mattresses and beds, as well as being a, quote, sleep influencer <laughs> and creating videos that are shared on social media. This is... The second year that the nation's largest mattress retailer is taking applications for the snooze turn position. I'm not joking. This is my job. <laughs> That's actually pretty remarkable. Florida, we're back. Pair tells jail staff they're detectives in attempt to get partner out, cops say. It's not often people try to get into jail. Uh, but the DeSoto County Sheriff's Office said two people told jail staff they were detectives in an attempt to get a friend out. Uh, they faced charges of impersonating a law enforcement officer after they tried to get into the DeSoto County Jail. <laughs> Olson and Reyes told dispatchers they were new detectives and tried to get into the sheriff's office vehicles. The pair talked to staff through an intercom at the jail entrance. The sheriff's office said Reyes and Olson were trying to get George Chanza, their partner, out of jail. Uh, the two have since been reunited with their partner in prison. <laughs> this town deserves a better class of criminal. And I'm going to give it to them. I feel like this is the fourth story we've read of someone trying to get back into prison. That's yes. amazing. <laughs> All right, Texas. Domino's employee assaults co-worker for spoiling Avengers Endgame. <laughs> this one might be justified. A Domino's restaurant employee in Texas channeled his inner Hulk there you go. when he beat a co-worker for spoiling Avengers Endgame. Justin Surface, 33, was cited for assault on Sunday after police said he attacked a fellow employee, ruining what is now one of the highest-grossing movies of all time. I think it actually is the highest, isn't it? I think so. That's hilarious, one customer said when interviewed by the station. That just seems kind of insane to me. Ah! 
I'm insane with anger. <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go further, in fact, a similar incident occurred in Hong Kong not too long ago. Deadline notes: A man was beaten outside a cinema in Causeway Bay after he yelled out spoilers to eager fans just walking through the town, He's yelling, yelling spoilers. Out. That is awfully rude and a little bit funny. That is, uh, that is funny. Alaska, man. Okay, this already has me laughing. Man with moose nuggets in carry-on says politics stink. Okay, what's a moose nugget? We're about to find out. Oh, I don't think I want to. Politics can stink. That was the message delivered by a traveler to airport inspectors in Alaska who found moose nuggets inside his carry-on bag. KTOO Public Media reports the man told agents uh, he collects the droppings and likes to present it for, quote, for politicians and their bleep policies. Oh, boy. I said bleep. We're good, right? Oh, so that's not actually what it's called? It's not actually called their bleep policies? I think we're good. Got it. Uh, TSA spokeswoman Lisa Farbstein says the discovery didn't warrant writing a report and the man was sent uh, on his way uh, with the poop. It's not known if it was the same person, but a man was seen passing out baggies of moose nuggets at the Capitol. I'm going same guy (laughs) at the Capitol on the same day as a protest against the governor's proposed budget. You know, I'm a voter. Aren't you? Supposed to lie to me and kiss my butt? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I didn't know it was poop until you actually used the word. I thought they were like chicken nuggets with moose meat. Also, sidebar, that's my new nickname for you. <laughs> moose nuggets. Tomorrow. What's up, moose nuggets? How are you? All right, last but not least, Arizona mom attacked by bees after wind blows beehive off tree onto her head. How is this real? A woman was stung about 30 times in a bee attack in Tempe Monday afternoon. Tempe Fire Medical Rescue Department. Rescue crews were called out to a home day, a home daycare where a hive had blown off a tree and fallen onto the woman's head as she was walking to pick up her son. Walking up to the house and with my wonderful luck, the second I got out of my car and walk under it, it falls on my head, she said. Yes, it fell directly on my head. I heard it explode on my head. Me too. They're huge and they're staying crazy. We'll, we'll come back later and check on you. Get them off. Save yourself. Your firearms are useless against them. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if anyone else enjoys this, but I really enjoy this. Don't be a hero. Your firearms are useless against them. <laughs> well done, Keith. Well done. Oh, and then to another good day. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Moose Nuggets. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.